Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and work. Enjoying the podcast? Let us know. Send a recording or written testimonial to podcast at cbeinternational.org of why Mutuality Matters matters to you, and we may feature you on an upcoming episode. The opinions expressed in CBE's Mutuality Matters podcast are those of its hosts and guests and do not purport to reflect the opinions or views of CBE International or its members or chapters worldwide. The designations employed in this podcast and the presentation of content therein do not imply the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of CBE concerning the legal status of any country, area, or territory, or of its authorities, or concerning the delimitation of its frontiers. Let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to this week's episode of Intersectionality. I am your host, Reverend Dr. Angela Raven Anderson. In this segment, we explore how our understanding of God and who God is calling us to be is informed at the intersection of race, gender, and religion. We examine how the combination of liberation, womanist, and egalitarian theology presents an understanding of God's kingdom that embraces, restores, uplifts, and transforms all who would enter therein. In recognition of October being National Domestic Abuse Month, we have convened a special panel to consider this collision point of domestic abuse as we discuss how, as, as leaders within our faith communities, we can help bring healing and restoration to families who experience this type of trauma in their homes. Today, we have with us John Reese or J.R. Newton, who's an, an RN, trained chaplain and licensed minister and founder of Tapestry Ministries in Dallas, Texas. She has authored Healing Voices, Women of Faith Who Survived Abuse Speak Out, Volume 1. Also with us today is Dr. Jean Porter King, the founding president of Transporter Group Incorporated, a consulting practice that specializes in leadership development. She received her master's in theological studies from McCormick Theological Seminary and PhD in organizational communications from Ohio University. She is also the author of several books, including Influence Starts with I, A Woman's Guide to Unleashing the Power of Leading from Within and Affecting Change Around You, and the soon-to-be-released Leading Well, A Black Woman's Guide to Holistic Barrier-Breaking Leadership. Uh, Hopefully, we will get that in 2023. It'll be published through Baker Books. And then also today, we have with us Dr. Antoinette Artoni Alvarado, who is the co-pastor of Grace Church International, founder and executive director of My Sister's Keeper Foundation for Women, and she is the president of Targeted Life Coaching and Consulting, LLC. She, too, has authored several titles, including Run and Not Be Weary, The Pursuit of Purpose and Destiny, as well as Stoking the Fire of Your Dreams. All of these women are contributors in CBE's newest publication, Created to Thrive, Cultivating Abuse-Free Faith Communities. Thank you all for joining me today. We're so grateful to have each one of you here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. (laughs) Well, we wanted to begin our conversation on um, 
this very serious topic of domestic violence um, because it is has such prevalence in our country. And unfortunately, we really do not see a significant difference between uh, those who profess a faith in mm -hmm. Christ or uh, or that they are Christians or believers. There's mm -hmm. there is no level of difference between that. And you would suspect that there there, there should be. Um, and also we want to really um, think about how our uh, our religion, our environments are impacting this type of behavior. I, I want to share just a couple of um, statistics to ground our conversation today as we're getting started, and then we will move into our topic. Um, this this is a um, very serious topic and um, a, a heavy and a weighty one. When you consider that one in four women and one in 10 men experience intimate partner violence or IPV each year. Um, but uh, the majority of domestic violence victims are women, 76% are women. Mm -hmm. And then when you also think about that, half of the female homicide victims are killed by either a current or a former male intimate partner that mm -hmm. really said something about the relationships that um, we are seeing within our families and within our communities. Mm -hmm. um, and then finally, domestic violence cost in the U.S. has been estimated approximately $67 billion on an annual basis, billion dollars when you consider um, lost, uh, lost productivity, increased health care costs, the incurred criminal justice uh, cost with the, going through the processes and many other issues. So this is something that's very significant in, mm -hmm. uh, in, our, in our communities. So today I wanted us to kind of begin our conversation. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, the focus for us is always kind of our understanding of God. And if we come into this conversation, understanding that in Genesis 1, we see God, our creator, forming the Adamai, the earth creature, right? And mm -hmm. God engenders the earth creature, male and female. And God says that this, this, this earth creature that I've created is created in my image and God deems it very good, mm -hmm. very good. So there's value in both the male and the female. Both are very good, right? So I want us to kind of first start by thinking about, are there spaces um, in our biblical interpretation? that may have steered us away from this idea of male and female both being uh, engendered with the image of God and both being valued. Um, JR, kinda, what, are, what are your thoughts about that? Well, in the, when you look at the biblical text, which is very, uh, has a very patriarchal slant, Mm -hmm. So you already know that there is going to be a heavy emphasis on the power of the power over uh, just a power dynamic uh, in the text already. So you already know that up front uh, because that is mostly who wrote those texts. So it's going to be written in that slant of uh, male dominance, male 
superiority, et cetera. So when you see those, you already know that up front, and you start reading about how uh, male and female interactions are, there's often a silencing of the female voice mm -hmm. that you may have many, many male characters' names are given. Their names are, are, are written, you know, mm -hmm. pronounced their name, the son of this person and the begotten of this person. But when you see women's names mentioned, it's usually in a context of, wow, something has happened. You know, she's got to be really, really special or something that has really, uh, uh, something's really going on when you see a woman's name mentioned. Mm -hmm. So in that, that context, it is, um, we know as women that we have value. Women, period, know that we have value. Uh, we are sitting here today because we are valuable, because we have contributed. So it doesn't, the Bible may not always show that value, but we know, and we, you know, even in the text, it says that we both have value male right. and female. So right. Just know that the Bible is written with that in that context. So when we think about these uh, these um, opportunities or spaces where there may be some misinterpretation along those lines, um, mm -hmm. as far as um, the mutuality in the relationship, because one of the things about domestic violence is, I mean, I, I want our listeners to understand that domestic violence in and of itself is a pattern of abuse that is about exerting power, power. and control one over the other partner, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, is an, it is about power and control. So unfortunately, um, and, and uh, Tony, you can jump in here too as well. What, what are some of the things that I know sometimes may have been taught traditionally yeah. um, that 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 people will lean on to say well it's it's in the bible that's how this should be mm -hmm. well i mean when you think of um, what i'm i'm thinking of immediately comes to mind our texts of what we call texts of terror mm -hmm. um and certain narratives in the bible um um, in ancient Israel and uh, some of the women that we get when we read about them, we hear about Hagar and Tamar and mm -hmm. um, um, the unnamed concubine, right. um, Jephthah's daughter. I just, that story, Jephthah's, I'll never forget the first time I read that story, right. how it left me, what I felt like afterwards. I mean, mm -hmm. I personally felt violated and just afraid for women and so all through um, from, from the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, there are texts that we have to grapple with that are in the Bible that have been used to uh, devalue women, to quote unquote, keep women uh, in their quote unquote place or whatever. Um, I mean, the age old argument that women aren't supposed to preach and people use text to say, well, Paul said women ought to keep silent in the church or let not a woman usurp authority over a man. So all of these type of texts that have been taught traditionally in many of our churches and uh, denominations and, and um, um, sacred spaces have um, um, 
it doesn't lend itself to the idea of mutuality or value for women. It does, it lends itself to the idea that women are second-class citizens. Women aren't valued or, or, or we don't have the, we're not the same class as, as men. And now layer on top of that race, then we have a whole nother issue. So, um, so we have what I would say for, um, uh, W.D.E. Du Bois calls the double bind theory that we are caught in as women of color. So not only are we, um, we have the gender issue, but we also have the race issue. And when you layer that on top, it is, it's, um, it's a, a, it's another level of abuse, if you will. Right. So then when we think about though, the, the text is it, always very interesting. I, I remember in um, one of my interviews with Dr. Renita, we were seeing mm-hmm. how it, the, the there are texts as well, though, that can bring healing in, in these conversations and can mm-hmm. help restore the um, what we see originally here in Genesis, this image of, of great mutuality. Um, but uh, one of the things, particularly with domestic abuse and violence, is not something that we teach, you hear preached often. And um, JR, you mentioned it in your chapter in the book that, you know, we seldom hear uh, messages about domestic violence and abuse and uh, on, on a Sunday morning that you, you can't really get your shout on in that type of uh, in, in that type of message. But you really talk about, uh, and, and it was really some of those texts that uh, Tony just mentioned, using those and lifting those to lift women in preaching and teaching. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yes, and those, um, it was a challenge in, in preaching those texts, and I've preached all of them, and I've, I've even done kind of my own little personal survey. I'll ask the group, how many, you know, when have you, you heard a sermon preached at your church regarding domestic violence and nobody raises their hands. Okay, so I knew then we had the problem. Uh, so when I looked at, especially the in uh, Judges 19, the concubine and the Levite. That's a horrible story. That's, that's a, the first time I heard that preached, uh, I almost fell out of my seat. I had, it was sitting in the middle of the Bible, sitting there and no one talks about it. So when I, when I started working on that, it took me a few months <laughs> to pray and get through that text and be able to stand there and preach it and let people know that that text is that text of terrorists, as Phyllis Tribble calls it, is sitting there. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, when I brought it around, I wanted it to get to show how uh, this young woman was devalued. She had value, but no one, the, the males in her family, even the, the, the Levite, her father, the servants, no one saw her value. And she left, she was left clinging to the threshold of the door. She refused to die in the streets. She died on the threshold. I want you to see me on your way out. Mm-hmm. You will see my dying mm-hmm. body on my way out. You will mm-hmm. recognize what you did to me. So did and she so, put some self-agency there? Mm-hmm. Yes, she did. Mm-hmm. Yes, she did. Took back some of that power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She mm-hmm. took back the little power she had. And then I said, for those of us that have been in those situations, women that have been 
devalued, women that have been abused, et cetera, call, put your name in her name's place. Mm. Give her a name. She has no name in that text. So it's up to us, especially those of us that preach the word, it's up to us to give her a voice, mm. to give her a name, to name her. Mm. So, and not leave her silent. Because when I told my, when I was telling my son about this text and he just got real quiet, I said, what's up? He said, you know what, mom, that sounds like silent noise. Mm. I wow. said, wow. He said, you know, the noise occurred, you know, the screaming, you know, all of the things, the shouting, you know, the pleading, all of that. She fled for her life but it is silent noise when no one speaks of it, when no mm. one gives it a voice. Mm. So I think we preach those texts that are very difficult uh, regarding how women have been abused and mm. they have not been brought forward. We bring forth the silent noise. So when we preach those, are we preaching them as cautionary tales or, or is there a, a, a word of redemption in those texts that we can find? Yeah, there's redemption in that they've been heard. You know, they're no longer laying in the Bible uh, just as a your coffee table. It's not a coffee table situation. Mm -hmm. It is now, now you've heard it. Now you have to acknowledge that you've heard it. Now how do we deal with it? How do we not repeat some things? How do men uh, be aware of how they treat women? It is some redemption in that because some people may not really be aware of how other actions are. Some women may not really see, oh, wow, that is abuse, you know, and, and where am I in that picture? So there is redemption. And I try to bring that, that part out, even if it's nothing but giving that person a name. I do think that you, when you said, is it, um, do we preach it as a cautionary tale or is there redemption? I think it's a both and okay. because as a cautionary tale, it's part of the story of fallen humanity. Yeah. And the reason we needed redemption yes. and the very situations in which we see, even with those texts of terror, those happen today and it yes. is an outgrowth of fallen humanity. Yes. And it speaks to the need for redemption of our savior and then our role in helping to redeem current situations. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I, and of course we focus on victims, but I also think too, how do we de redeem that perpetrator? Yeah. Yeah. You know, how, yeah. how do we bring yeah. them into a space of mm -hmm. repentance and wholeness mm -hmm. um, that God is wanting for all of the children, right? right? For all of the children that. I'm so glad you brought that out, Angela, because I think sometimes when we talk about, um, domestic violence. Of course, the victims are are prominent in that uh, the need for redeeming them and healing is is so prominent. But also the vic the uh, perpetrator, yeah. God wants to redeem everybody in the right. store. Right. And so um, I think that's so important that you bring that out because I don't think we often think about what was it that this perpetrator was carrying or, or walking through or what trauma had they experienced that led to them being an abuser? I think because it's, it's such a, uh, a topic, especially in African-American communities, you know, we have this saying that what goes on at home stays at home, mm. regardless of how bad it is. 
Yeah. And I think once we start taking things out of our home and out of things that are happening in our houses and you're putting them, you know, you're preaching about that in the pulpit, it does get very uncomfortable, but it needs to, it needs to be done in order for healing to abound and for us to not have this to be a generational situation. So then, I, I address that. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and also not only just preaching about domestic abuse specifically, but then even addressing these issues around power dynamics mm. in relationship. Uh, as we talk about preventing, you know, creating these communities that prevent abuse from mm-hmm. occurring, uh, lifting up the scriptures that really do uh, support the idea that we love each other uh, and we mutually submit to each other. And then mm-hmm. we both mutually submit to God mm-hmm. in, in the relationship. And what does that look like? Uh, you know, when we really talk about uh, love God and then love your neighbor as yourself or love your partner as yourself. And how does that, you know, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Um, having these loving, uh, caring relationships mm-hmm. that are not power-based. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Jean, you know, one of the things that you mentioned in the chapter in the book that you talked about was the, the role in our society of um, imagery in, in, in marketing and that we, we live in a society where uh, that's highly influenced as far as um, we, we see these images of women that are, you know, hypersexualized um, and again, kind of showing this, this, this strange power dynamic of men over women or women being very subservient. Um, how does that challenge us for the church today? Well, I think as you connect the hypersexualization of women to the power dynamic, we have to go back to the, the scripture and our theology around humans created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And you unpacked Genesis 1. And I think what happens in the church is people go to Genesis 2 and there's a misinterpretation and the power dynamic is reintroduced. And so as in Genesis one, you know, humans were created in God's image, male and female created Mm -hmm. he, them, we are the Imago Dei. Mm -hmm. But in Genesis two, there's this chronological uh, hierarchy, if you will. Mm -hmm. Well, Adam was created first and um, Mm -hmm. Eve was the help me. And in, most black churches help meet has become a noun mm-hmm. and that the woman is the help meet, which puts her in an automatic subservient position mm-hmm. versus the Hebrew is she was a helper that was appropriately suited for him. Mm-hmm. And that helper Azar is um, used throughout scripture to talk about one who helps and is often referred to God as the God who right. helps. It is the saving help. And it's the kind of help that God gives. Well, it's not just, you know, Jean, you said something you said in our black churches, help me to become a now. And um, it's, it's, it has become also an identity. Mm-hmm. Um, an objectified noun. Yeah. Objectified yeah. Head. It's an, mm-hmm. it's an identity, a role, and almost um, a, a place of, honor in some some 
some in some places it's it's a it's a, a position right and so that reinforces um and, and other texts that are again misinterpreted taken out of context it continues to reinforce the subservience of women mm-hmm. and when um your your theology you know, says that women are second-class citizens, women are second, then that suggests that those that are in power can use that second-class um, person any way they, they wish. Mm-hmm. And people might think it's a stretch to say, oh, domestic violence and just this help me. But in, and to me, they're connected because it does violence against the very image of God that is within us. Right. And, and the power dynamic, you know, when God created uh, humans in God's own image, it was with the fall that love became lust, that grew, um, you know, one race became powerful over another, one gender over another. Those power dynamics were introduced with the fall. And that's what we see then with the hypersexualization, the objectification of women. And in the church, how we have to combat it is to continue to lift up the value, the equal and mutual value of women. Mm-hmm. And, but not just because it's a sociological or anthropo- anthropological thing, it's because going back to your scripture, the very first one in Genesis, we too are the Imago Dei. Right, we right. hold the image of God within us. And that has implications for how we see ourselves and how we see each other, how we treat ourselves and how we treat each other. Yes, yes, yes. Well, and you know, and for me, it even, you know, you brought up the that Ezra word because that that is a saving helper. It is not the maid. It is not the um, <laughs> the servant. It is it is who I call when my back is up against the wall and I need somebody to get me out of this situation. That that is that is the Ezra that we see, and so that always it's really it, you know it's it's the same word that we get the word Paraclete from when we talk about the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. in the New Testament. It's mm-hmm. the same word, mm-hmm. and so I would like to say it's the feminine side of God. Absolutely, you know what I mean. Absolutely. So it's that part of God that we we're we're that image, that feminine side of God. We portray that, and not just um, in our roles in the family or in the church but just in who we are, the things that we bring to the table, our leadership styles, our personalities, the way, the way, the way we conduct business, the way we lead in the family, in the community, in the church, in right. business, that is our, that helper, that's who we are. Right. And, um, and it, it's not a subservient piece. Yeah. It's not lesser than, it's equal right. and it's mutual. CB published, CB published a book two, three years ago that created the thrive as like another um, extension. This one was mutual by design. And the first chapter says something that I'll just read real quickly. Um, it says, given what we know about the word Azar, it evokes something quite opposite of a subservient Absolutely. role. The woman is depicted as the one created by God to liberate man from aloneness. Mm-hmm. Adam's aloneness was not a problem because he had no one to help him get his work done, but because being alone harms our very humanity. Mm-hmm. Recall that we humans being made in the image of God 
are relational to our core. Mm. Our God is Father, Son, and Spirit who exists in what is uh, theologians call the community of love. Humans are created to exist in a community of love as well. My question is, can we extend Azar to um, the men, you know, our, those of us that are married to our husbands? So I often yeah. um, tell yeah. my husband that he's my help me. I'm his right. help me right. for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. adequate for him as he yeah. is for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm just, I want to toss this kind of out there. How, how does the presence of women in leadership in the church uh, impact how congregants value women? Oh, I, I, I think in my, in my context, I know it impacts having a female pastor Mm-hmm. Um, in leadership makes a difference in our church and not just with the women, but also with the men. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think it lifts women. Um, it, um, the men in my church, it lifts their perception and value for women, not just in their home, but just in general, seeing me and not just me, but other women in our church mm-hmm. operate in leadership roles, not just as um, a secretary taking notes in meetings, but actually decision makers right. and um, uh, implementers and people who um, have governmental authority and leadership in our church. Jean, you were about to add something to that, though. Yeah, I was going to just give four ways in which the presence of women in leadership roles impact mm-hmm. the church and the valuation of women. One is the church as the ecclesia, the called out of God, um, the place uh, where we are to make disciples, and therefore it has a major role for the spiritual formation mm-hmm. of believers. I like to say the holistic formation of believers. So when women are present in those leadership roles, the very uh, formative um, years and ideas and formative practices really bring forth something um, really powerful because we're looking at forming the whole person and not privileging just the spiritual over the natural, but we're looking at this integration. And I believe when women are in the leadership roles, because there are things that women have to tend to differently than men have to tend to, but we see it as part of that formation. Um, secondly, I think you've already hit it, everyone that has, has spoken so far, for the next generation, men and women, boys and girls, mm-hmm. uh, but especially for the young women coming along, if they can see it, they can be it. Mm-hmm. When they see a woman preaching, there's a woman who's about to plant her church in Pittsburgh. Uh, we grew up in um, Western Pennsylvania, Northern West Virginia, and Eastern Ohio. This is called the, the Ohio Valley or the tri-state area. Years later, she types all of this around the impact I had on her as a young girl that, and her pastor was a female, and my first pastor was my granny, my grandmother. So if you can see it, you can be it, you don't even think that it's not possible. So it also boosts the confidence of women. And then the third one is women, I believe in leadership, when we're there and we have give voice to what's important in congregations and whether it's structural issues in the congregation, you know, uh, practical issues or even social justice issues on the outside, we begin to bring the voice of what's important to women. 
mm -hmm. uh, what's important and why we put an emphasis on certain things. So again, um, that's three of the four, the other ones you had mentioned. I just think that we bring a great um, uh, vision and image. Oh, the fourth one was going to be innovation. When you talk about diversity and one of the major reasons companies want to focus on diversity and inclusion is that innovation. Right. We get more innovative programs, more innovative mm -hmm. pastoral care, more mm -hmm. innovative outreach. We get innovation when you have the gender diversity, generational diversity, right. even the cultural diversity. Yeah. Um, and so that would be another reason that it's important to have those faces and those voices in places of leadership. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's the spiritual formation of the whole community. Oh, oh that's good. Order CBE's most recently published book, Created to Thrive, Creating Abuse-Free Faith Communities. Created to Thrive brings together the voices of experts and faith leaders to tackle topics related to abuse. Born out of a desire to equip pastors and Christian leaders to respond wisely to create safe spaces where all can flourish, Created to Thrive explores the dangerous consequences of women's devaluation and how skewed theology can perpetuate abuse. Created to Thrive will help you to understand and address domestic and church abuse, gain best practices for creating abuse-free spaces, and to respond wisely to reports of violence. Buy now through CBE's online bookstore at cbeinternational.christianbook.com. Tony, I wanted to ask you because uh, I know that you mentor and you co-pastor and work with a lot of women uh, uh, as you're uh, doing leadership development work with them. And I, I know most certainly, um, especially as we consider those statistics, there have been individuals that even as um, they may have a desire to move into leadership, um, that they've been the victims of um, domestic violence and, and, and IPV. How, how do you see that when you're working with them? How, how do you see the impact of that on, on those women? Well, first of all, I think the statistics says that in, in when we look at our churches, and it may be higher now, but one out of every three on your row has yeah. experienced right. um, domestic violence or intimate partner violence. And um, so the statistics are can be astonishing. We did a um, we do a thing every year in October in our church called um, um, we used to do worship in pink, but now we do worship in pink and purple in the month in the month of October. And so we um, we did a, a thing a few a couple of years ago around domestic violence, and we had someone come in and uh, talk to us about it and just. Uh, we highlighted survivors of, of not just breast cancer survivors, but survivors of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And um, it was one of the most healing um, experiences that we've had in our women's ministry. And to have women um, brave enough to share their, um, their story and, um, and uh, the, the way we came around each other. Uh, to help and, and minister to each other. Because whether, here's the thing, sometimes women have been victims of violence and didn't even know that they were victims yes. of violence. Yes. And so um, even in my own life, I, I, mm -hmm. I remember when I finally came to realization that I had been violated. Mm -hmm. And, um, and um, but but like you, you don't. Sometimes you don't even know that that's what it is. Mm 
mm-hmm. until you really you're educated and, and realize the impact that it's had on your life. But when you say, how is it? I think it impacts the way women show up. Mm-hmm. I think it impacts um, um, the, the, their ability to speak their truth or use their voice. Sometimes they're afraid or they hold back on what they know. They, they, uh, when, when I, when I mean by what they know is what they bring to the table right. in terms of uh, ingenuity or, mm-hmm. or knowledge or wisdom or creativity all those things that we've been talking about that women bring to the table, I think sometimes women hold back because they have been victims of violence. And so is it safe for me to um, to use my voice? Is it safe for me to show up? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because when I showed up before, I was slapped around or told I couldn't or whatever. And then one of the issues is um, some, particularly when married women, um, sometimes they are married to the pastor or the church leader mm-hmm. that's, you know what I'm saying? That, and so they can't say, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever. You know, that's one of those things when we were talking about, you know, developing women as leaders. I think we have to be very mindful of when we consider spiritual formation, um, bringing those mentors alongside of them people that can support them because it will come it, it it will begin to show up in some space or or place what that person has experienced before mm-hmm. you know and so i think as we as we think through how do we equip women to serve uh like you said knowing that one in three have had this experience or one in four have had this experience mm-hmm. then you you have to you know, always kind of be mindful of that, even as we're training women um, um, to how to affirm their value, how to affirm their worth, how to mm-hmm. uh, help them learn to express their voice, um, as well as, you know, h- how how to deal with conflict in a way that mm-hmm. um, that they can still feel like they can maintain their dignity in the process, right? And in, in, in a way that can be effective um, as as they are leading, mm-hmm. co-leading, um, whatever whatever the circumstance is. Yeah. So, in in a real real practical way, we talked about innovation and programming. If uh, if there's a listener that's here, they're thinking about this, and they're like, "Yeah, no, this this has not existed at my this conversation is not." ever been had at, at my church what are some thoughts or some ideas that we could give our listeners about how they may want to um begin these conversations or begin to create spaces one is to start perhaps a book club mm-hmm. um that the women meet on a monthly basis and they're reading and studying together certain texts including created to thrive mm-hmm. or certain key chapters from that book mm-hmm. and other um, um, books that begin to fiction and nonfiction mm-hmm. that raise the issues to have the conversation. And perhaps at the end of each of the conversations, some takeaway, some action mm-hmm. that individually they can take for more empowerment and then what they can as a church do sometimes before women can, my experience is, 
I've seen this in the corporate arena also, before they can make change at a structural or systems level, mm -hmm. they've got to feel empowered. They have to have the self-efficacy, mm -hmm. uh, raise the self-awareness, get the strategies and, um, you know, develop the self-efficacy. And then in power, you know, we think about the daughters of Zelophehad. When mm -hmm. they went to Moses, they went to Moses as a group. And Dolores Williams and sisters in the women. And they got and they got together before they went to Moses. They got together before they went to Moses. And Dolores <laughs> Williams and sisters in the wilderness says when they went to Moses, what did Moses do? Moses took it to God, and it then became a theological issue about the equality of women in that case, uh, you know, in getting their land and getting the inheritance. And that ended up. You know, God says what the sisters say is right. Mm -hmm. And Moses had to act on that. And it became really foundational for case law and inheritance laws, mm -hmm. even in the West, in the U.S. Mm -hmm. But my, my point um, is just that, that first, you've got to get together first and, and get a common framework and, and have a vehicle by which they can talk about these issues and express. Might be also a support group, having um, uh, some clinical people um, professionals that facilitate a few um, support groups. Um, those would be two that I would offer that as part of the women's ministry, I think my book that came out in 2005, Leading Lessons, I said back then we need to stop having women's days in which women just dress up in white clothes, white dresses, <laughs> get a speaker. It's time out for that. We really need empowering, mm -hmm. agentic mm -hmm. actions that better the life of women and children and men in our entire congregations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good, good. And then I, I think also creating communities, safe, safe places um, mm -hmm. for women to empower each other, creating um, um coaching environments, mentoring environments among women in our in our communities, in our churches, in our organizations, whereby women can feel like there is someone that they can go to mm -hmm. um, and share, even if that person is not the one to help them resolve the issue, but at least they have let it out their mouth and then maybe that person can be the gateway mm -hmm. to them getting the help that they need. Right, right. Someone that, that can walk alongside them. Yeah, the, and, their yeah. And recovery. because a lot of times this, the, the guilt and the shame that go along yeah. with it sometimes mm -hmm. keeps women silent. Yeah. Um, and so when they know that there is, you know, we're a healing community, we're a safe community, there there's nothing to be ashamed of. We can, we can put our arms around around you and help walk you through this. Well, ladies, we are getting to the end of our time, but I usually close this our segment with a question uh, that has to do with how do you believe that God is calling us um, to show up? And I want us to think about, um, you know, as we understand who God is and who God is calling us to be, I want I, I want you to think about how is God calling us to show up with respect to this issue of domestic abuse and violence? When we consider that we are women, Black women, um, uh, Black women clergy, what, how, how does that, what call is God um, placing upon us for addressing this space of, uh, that needs healing? The first place uh -huh. God is calling us to is, um, 
to get our head out of the sand mm. and not pretend like this is not happening. Yes. This is not real. Um, Jean said it earlier, sometimes in our church, in our settings, everybody want to, we want to get to the celebration, yes. but we're dancing and celebrating on top of things that mm. really need healing. Yes. Oh my goodness. You said that and the hair on my arm stood up. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. And and if we don't dancing and shouting over it, it's not going to make it go away. Mm -hmm. We have to uncover it, look at it for what it is, call it what it is, and then maybe the healing can begin. Yes. Very good. Thank you. I would add to that maybe three things. One is to continue to believe women. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, believe the stories of the violence and abuse. And as part of our pastoral care, um, create that space, yes, that they can come to us and also to stay in our lane as pastors. I have one in seminary, I did pastoral care um, courses, pastoral counseling courses, pastoral care. And I'm even working now on a certificate for spiritual um, direction, mm-hmm. um, but for some of the the trauma we're talking about, mm-hmm. we need to make sure we have a resource list yes. of therapists and counselors, mm-hmm. and um, um, make sure that we can get people to some good safe places. And then what I like is I'll even model what happened in the book Created to Thrive that CBE put together is I know my calling is to develop leaders. My calling is to look at, you know, church processes. Um, Before I married a pastor and became the executive pastor, I consulted to a number of churches. I have a book out called, you know, Building a Church Full of Leaders Around Processes. And what I believe the role that I'm to play, and they included in this book, is to create more opportunities for live, women to live out their gifts as leaders, to address the structures in the church that will sometimes prevent women from leading. Because again, for me, that violence is anything that violates another's humanity and the Imago Day within us and being able to live out and flourish fully in our callings of God. So if we can cultivate these spaces in which uh, women are developed as leaders, as, you know, mentors, as what, what Dr. Tony does with her coaching program, we're helping to unleash some powerful gifts in the church yes. that also helps to shift the culture around yes. women and how we're seen. Yes, yes. JR. I think one way we can show up, especially by using this project, uh, the Creative to Thrive project, is to um, share that with congregations, with organizations, with other pastors, other leaders uh, that uh, are ministering to uh, people, just people, period, not just women, but be able to show them and teach them how to preach those messages, how to teach those, how to minister to those women that are, are those people that have been in those violent situations. And then we have to do the hard work, and it's hard work of listening. Yeah. We, have to, we have to be able to uh, invite people to that I will listen to your story. 
and help them be heard. Because listening is hard. Sometimes we want to interject with the solution and we got our story to tell, et cetera. But to sit there and listen to someone's story from their heart of things that have happened to them is, is very hard to do. And, and I've done it. So creating a listening environment that I am here to hear you. And then there is a walk beside. So you don't just uh, hear their story and say, oh, I'm just so sorry that happened. And go on. There has to be a willingness to walk beside that person on that healing journey. Yeah, because it's going to be some nights. It's going to be some days. It's going to be some times when, when uh, you know, they don't know whether to give up Absolutely. or give in or whatever. So you have to be willing and available to be able to walk with them on that journey uh, towards Amen. healing. So I think as pastors, uh, as leaders in the community, that our job does not stop it. Uh, there is a both. It's the it and that we have to preach it. We have to teach it, we have to mentor it, we have to listen to it, and we, we have, have to live it. To walk with it. Amen. 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 Well, thank you all. This has been a wonderful discussion. And um, I hope that um, those of you who are tuned in have enjoyed uh, this conversation as well. There's been some incredible information and wisdom share today. And so to each one of you, I say thank you. And to all who are joining us today, thank you as well. Please stay tuned to all of the brand new episodes that we continue to drop weekly from our incredible team of co-hosts. And in the meantime, I would invite you to go to the show notes where you can learn how to follow each and every one of our members on the podcast, as well as each one of our guests um, and any of the new members of our uh, CBE family. Be sure to follow CBE International on Facebook and on Twitter. You should also go and check out our website at www.cbeinternational.org for more content. Subscribe to our blog, magazine, and academic journal watch videos and listen to audio of past conferences and events. And you should even go visit our bookstore where you can find a ton of talented authors and subjects uh, that will enrich your faith and equip you to use your God-given talents in leadership and service to the gospel for all, regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. Well, I am Reverend Dr. Angela Raven-Anderson. And I would like to thank Landon, our support tech, and the entire team of CBE International that makes this podcast possible. We are Mutuality Matters. Thanks for listening. Looking for more information about CBE and our mission for biblical equality? Then please visit cbeinternational.org for more information. And please be sure to tune in each week for new episodes here or wherever else you listen to podcasts.